0: Welcome to the Operation Crest Podcast. I'm Zach Mills. And I'm Evan Bilyte. And we are the co-hosts of today's episode. Operation Crest is an effort from the 957 Project to empower high school students like us to preserve memories of America's veterans and to share their stories of courage, resilience, service, and teamwork. Each of these interviews will be donated to the Library of Congress to be preserved for future generations and you can hear other episodes of this show wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to stick around at the end of the episode to hear us reflect on what we learned during the following conversation. Learn more at www.the957project.org slash Operation And now let's begin the show. Today we're interviewing retired
1: Air Force Veteran Lieutenant Colonel Lee Olenitz. Lee Olanese retired from the Air Force as a lieutenant colonel with over 22 years of active duty service. He started his career as an engineer supporting flight tests at Edwards Air Force Base. In 2000, he graduated from the Air Force Test Pilot School as a flight test engineer and supported supported initial testing of the F-22 fighter aircraft. Additional assignments include program offices with the advanced medium-range air-to-air missile air traffic control and landing systems, the E-3 Sentry Airboard Warning and Control System, and various staff positions. Lieutenant Colonel Olanis deployed to Afghanistan in 2007 with Task Force Paladin and the Counter-Improvised Explosive Device ied mission at FOB Shank and Kandahar. In 2011, he deployed to FOB Union 3 in the Baghdad Green Zone supporting the Iraq Security Assistance Mission. Mr. Olenez graduated from Texas A&M, where he earned a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. He also holds a Master's degree in Electrical Engineering from the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. He retired in two thousand sixteen and currently works as a technical consultant.
0: Uh, to start off today, Mr. Olenez, you know we want to reflect on what your life was before you joined the service. You know where did you grow up? What was your younger life like? And you know how what was your life throughout high school and how that shaped you to the man you would become? So I, I grew up mainly in North Alabama, a little town called Scottsboro. Uh,
2: my dad was a civil engineer and he was working on uh, construction of the Belfont nuclear plant at that time. Um, one of the big advantages of, of growing up in Scottsboro is a, it was a small town, but it was pretty close to Huntsville, Alabama. And in Huntsville, they have the Alabama Space and Rocket Center, which is now the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. And I'd always been interested in aviation and rocketry um, you know, did those hobbies as a kid and continue to do them today uh, as I, I try to do STEM outreach programs with other uh, other youth. But being in that environment where you had the space center right there um, and having large fields to shoot rockets really helped continue my interest in development in, in the uh, aerospace type of technologies that really led me to uh, a service in the Air Force and, and going that way. Um, my dad, as an engineer, uh, instilled a certain amount of discipline when it came to working technical uh, challenges, for example, when I when you're doing math problems, you, you we tend to you know write small and cram a bunch of stuff on paper. And he would always say, you know, start with a new sheet of paper every problem, and so that that got me into a a mode of of problem solving to make sure you take a a, a uh, you know a, a clean sheet of paper, a fresh look at every problem. And I think it helped out, and that's something I've tried to you know teach my kids to do too. So I, I think those things uh, going through high school. Um, of led me to the the service in the air force that i i I had
0: um you know you talked a little bit about your dad and stuff uh you know growing up and stuff was there somebody that left an impact on your life or influenced you to go into what you wanted to do or somebody who gave you that resilience to go into the military so again back
2: to my dad it was it was probably him mostly so he served in vietnam for several years and it's funny because he had, uh, you know, a couple of things. One, he had his old uniforms still around. And as a kid, you kind of, you play dress up and you put it, the old uniforms on. It wasn't like we were, um, you know, it's like, hey, I, I, I want to go in the Army. It's everything I want to do. But you had that influence there. The other thing that, that showed me that uh, the military could be a possible branch of, uh, you know, a, a service for me was it, there was a picture on the wall. And it was his pin on uh, promotion to captain when he was in Vietnam. And it was an old... Kind of a black and white photo, you know, the background background was was a little blurry. But I always have those images in my mind that military service is a possibility. My my dad had been through it. My mom's um, dad uh, was also in the Army. Uh, They actually also did civil engineering. So I think having those those role models out there to show what was possible and seeing what he did uh, probably helped contribute to that.
0: Okay. And you talked about, you know, through high school and stuff, um, like from our area, a lot of people go straight into the military. Um, after you graduated high school, is that where you went into? Did you go straight into the military or did you attend Texas A&M first? I
2: went to Texas A&M first. I, I went there on a ROTC scholarship uh, at A&M. There's with all uh, colleges, there's an ROTC program, but a and is a little unique. It has a corps of cadets. There's several universities around the U.S. that have a, a corps of cadets. It's like a military school portion within a larger um, non-military school. And uh, that was also a great experience. Uh, a lot of leadership development that happens there, it gives you the opportunity to to take on projects to lead and then you know really freedom to fail, to see where you have weaknesses, where you have strengths and your friends help you through it. So did, uh, um, got a degree at Texas A&M through the Corps of
1: Cadets and then I got commissioned into the Air Force.
0: Okay,
1: um, I have one more question about uh, you at Texas A&M. So later on it says that you earned a bachelor of science in electrical engineering what led you to go into the military first before earning or before um earning a bachelor's in electrical engineering so i actually got the bachelor's.
2: so you you get the degree and you graduate and then you're commissioned like a day later okay so it's it's all kind of happening in in one in one weekend um almost back-to-back days uh the master's degree came later i did that on my own when i was still in the
1: service all right um there are many reasons that people choose to go into the military. Uh, what made you decide to enlist into the Air Force, and how supportive was your family when you made this decision?
2: Oh, they were very supportive. Um, like I said, with my my dad been in the military, they kind of understood the role and 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 service to the country in that way. Uh, the Air Force kind of had a bigger draw to me because of the technological um, aspects of the of that service with the with the aircraft and the space side. I'd also looked into the Navy, the Navy nuclear program. That was also very interesting, and um, that was a possibility. Uh, so it was really more of the the weapon systems um, and the mission that drew me more to the Air
1: Force. Oh, while you were deployed, what were your specific duties?
2: So while uh, my first deployment was in Afghanistan, and there it was the counter IED mission. So if you remember, they had what were they called roadside bombs, and there's a number of ways that they could set them off, either by wires or radio frequencies. And so we had a lot of type of uh, systems that would either jam the radio frequencies or other ways to go looking for um, IED. So that was a counter IED mission task force Paladin. Uh, when I got there, I was stationed at a it was called a FOB, Forward Operating Base. So FOB Shank it had just started up, and I was down there working on the the systems to to jam the RF links to the IEDs, and then also working with other missions uh, to go looking for uh, looking for where they might be and how to counter that. Later on, I went down to Kandahar and supported some of the Army units and their deployments as they went on operations to to lead turn where uh, IED issues might be, supporting the missions. And that's where I finished up the
1: deployment. Uh, Some veterans have stories or good memories they have from from being deployed. Uh, Do you have any stories or memories from your time when you were deployed Uh, that you would be willing to share? Oh, yeah, there's lots of stories. But some of the
2: things that made the biggest impression on me was the the demands that we put on uh and the how challenging it is when you have young service members only been in you know maybe three to five years going out on very dangerous missions and they do it willingly and they do a great job at it it was just very impressive uh to see people executing the mission going on patrols uh very professionally working with the the locals and i, I don't know at, at that age i don't know if i would have had that level of maturity that they had today so that was very impressive. The other thing that I got to appreciate was, uh, I would call it mail call. So down at Fob Shank, um, around sometime into December, the the snow finally hit and then we just had a ton of snow and there wasn't any way to get anything in or out of the fob for, for, for probably a couple of weeks. And this was right before, right around Christmas time. And these big Chinook helicopters would come in about every week or so on, on the ring route. And they, they drop off, you know, mail and people and stuff, or you'd have a, a combat logistics patrol a clip come down and and, and deliver things so for a couple of weeks there we, we could get out uh and nothing really could get in it wasn't a big deal but after a while nobody had received any mail for for weeks uh because again other other um, cargo out prioritized it so around christmas time you had like three chinooks show up pallets and pallets of mail And this wasn't a big file. so and it just amazed me how much morale uh how much um, mail really helped them around when you get letters from home and, and cards and things like that. So that was a really neat story about how how important it is if you've got somebody deployed to support them, to let them know you're thinking of them. Even you know an email. By the way, email was very difficult to get out there. You didn't have your Wi-Fi, you Wi-Fi. You didn't have good com links. So mail was really the lifeline back then. This is, this is 2007. Things have probably got a little bit better with uh, you know Starlinks um, and things like that. But it's never guaranteed. You in austere environments. Uh, you don't have a, you know electricity is at a premium. And so a physical piece of mail uh, is generally how things were communicated. And to see that amount of mail come in and everybody's spirits lifted was was a good memory.
1: Um, you mentioned how it like lifted your morale. Is that something that kept you in the military longer or? Or was it just something, you know, that helped you in that moment?
2: It was just something that helped in the moment. The The biggest thing that probably helped me stay in the military was just the opportunities and the people. I, I really enjoyed the jobs I've done. I mean, not all of them are, are great. Some, some are more challenging than others. But overall, I've enjoyed the people I've worked with. I've enjoyed the, the mission and the, the technical challenges that it involves. And as I'm going through the years, there were more opportunities. I could see another opportunity farther down the line. And it wasn't just an opportunity for... Uh, more authority or more rank it was an opportunity to work on something neat and to support the mission in a different way and that's what kept me in
0: okay and you were while you were talking you were you said something about you know y'all had a big blizzard or some sort of snow and stuff and you couldn't get mail you know while you were deployed and stuff on your downtime what did you and your team do did you have games or or did you have to work during your downtown or what kept you occupied you
2: know, there there's always something to do work-wise always some planning always some maintenance uh action to take on, on the vehicles. Um, but I ended up reading a lot of books. Uh, well, before I deployed, I, uh, you know, the war in Afghanistan had been going on for many years. And so I started reading some of the books that have been written on operations like Operation Anaconda and Roberts Ridge. And while I was out there, I just continued to read other books, just about a little bit of everything. And so that, that, that kept me occupied. And of course we had, uh, DVDs, most of it's streaming now, but DVDs with shows would come in and you'd watch those a little bit too
0: and you said you had read a book or something uh what, what what book that you read while you were deployed you know lifted you up or is one that always sticks out to you when you remember that time um
2: uh, i would say um uh, ghost wars was i won't say it's really lifted up but it, it just gives you insight so i was more into uh historical you know nonfiction uh type of stories and some of the, the uh the narratives that are out there about how how we be, how we came to to 9-11 and how uh Afghan and t- Taliban and Al Qaeda developed. Though that historical contents was very interesting to me, especially when you're sitting out there. As an engineer, I was never really interested in that in history or political science. But putting me in that environment made me really appreciate all those other sides of, I guess which would call the humanities and the liberal arts that I didn't pursue as an engineer. And I started to see more about statecraft and more about geopolitics in ways that I, I had never envisioned before and didn't know how it would affect me of course 9-11 changed that we became much more involved in the world for good reason uh because there are, there are bad guys out there who want to do bad things and it put things in a very different perspective um and so the books that i read kind of opened my mind and, and opened the aperture to uh the historical context
0: of the situation i was in so speaking of 9-11 You know, during that time, you know, you had just graduated from the Air Force uh, flight school. Test
2: pilot school. Yep.
0: And, you know, everybody gets the question, you know, where were you on 9-11? So where were you and how did that affect you as maybe a young soldier going into the military? So
2: um, I found out about 9-11. So I was living over on the West Coast. And in the morning I would uh, log on to a computer and it would do dial up modem and it would um, upload my. upload my email so again something you probably haven't experienced these days and it was aol at the time and aol would pop up with a little screen and have some little headline then it, it would drop off as it upload your email and the headline i believe said something like america under attack and it showed that the twin towers burning and as it went away i thought you know sometimes you see headlines that are you know fictional or you know or, or you know possible scenarios and i thought that didn't look that didn't look like a uh, a fictional scenario so I went over, turned on the TV, and, and by this time, again, we're three hours later over on the West Coast, and I saw what was happening, and it was just it was just insane. So I uh, called my wife over and said, hey, we need to kind of keep an eye on this. Uh, something to note, though, as in the military, there aren't a lot of, um, traditionally, there aren't a lot of career fields that deploy. You, you see, you think about infantry and armor and all the people in the combat arms that generally go fight the wars. Well, this changed things a lot. As an engineer, I would have never expected to deploy with the military. Uh, but this also this uh, brought a mission need that said, hey, we do need you out there. We do need you to do these jobs. One was in the counter IED, and the other one was uh, doing acquisitions, what we call acquisitions, um, when I went to Iraq. Uh, another career field that deployed in the Air Force that you never would have thought, I would have never thought uh, deployed a lot, contracting officers. There was so much that you were trying to do in terms of getting the, uh Afghanistan and Iraq more up to a more modern process, and, and we're investing a lot of money over there what was the contracting process? So you had contracting officers that you would never envision. They're going to be deployed. They got deployed a lot. Uh, so that that's really what changed things. It, it, it changed the expectation of just because you're in a career field that might not be part of the combat arms or traditionally deploy,
0: you still have to be prepared because you never know. And while you were over there, you know, you probably made you probably uh, made friendships with uh, the men and women that you served with you know, did you stay in touch with these people, you know, after you've retired and you're out of the military?
2: Yep. There's several I still t- stay in touch with. One of the most interesting ones. So I knew this, uh, this guy back in Florida when I was at Eglin Air Force Base, um, you know, five years later, there he is in Iraq. So I see him there and, uh, you know, and I, I would go back down to Eglin Air Force Base and, and visit him every so often. And no kidding, uh, about two weeks ago, I saw him at a contractor facility and ran into him again. So, you just never know it's it's a, it's a small world i guess the other one was in afghanistan i ended up i was at the chow hall and saw a helicopter pilot i had flown with many years previously and caught up with him and found out some of the amazing things that he did that i had no idea so yeah small community a lot going on
1: um if you have kept anything from your deployments what was it and what does it mean to you
2: so when you leave sometimes you get
1: uh, some mementos i've got
2: a there's a small thing. Um, it's a little like an imitation of a little one of those concrete walls that everybody signed with the uh, Iraq label on it. Um, uh, several things. Uh, we think we got a flag an embroidered flag that everybody signs. So when people would leave, we'd all do things like that, and I, I still have those uh, on display.
1: Uh, after your deployment, um, you know, people usually can find stuff to occupy themselves or, you know, just, uh, just to pass the time. Um, what are what are some things that you've done after your deployment? So after I came back, I I still had to, which we'd call the day job,
2: um, working within the the acquisition world of the Air Force, making sure we had modern weapon systems. Uh, you know, modernizing the old things, bringing in new things, and so those jobs were still very busy. And again, coming back from deployment, it takes on a new light and how important it is to not just have uh, new new shiny things, which everybody likes to see in the news. But the equipment that we have still has to be maintained, has to be sustainable, has to have a logistics train. Uh, supply chain was something that I experienced well before COVID, uh, that when things are in the field, you have to be able to maintain them in a way that's supportable by the supply chain. So those jobs continued. And and I, I guess I approached them differently and not thinking it's just just another part of acquisition. I know where that end product was going.
1: And it became more important to me. Uh. While you were spending your time, how did you spend it with your family? Uh, so we came back, we uh,
2: probably took more vacations. Um, my kids were relatively young. And as we went into, they, they got into like junior high, we made sure to uh, do more family events. We, we did a, a European trip, uh, so we saved up for that. So I just made sure that the, uh, I focused on some, not just, just being around, but making memories. Uh, so that that's, I guess, one of those things you could think about as, as employment. It's a very intense time and you get a lot of memories well you know taking taking my kids out to a different place a different country or a different uh state and seeing something is an intense memory uh that you know one that they will enjoy uh remembering how we went and the places we saw and so i tried to we tried to focus more on those type of events um and getting them exposed to the world
0: um after you retired in 2006 you um you went into working as a technical consultant How did your time in the Air Force and the things that you'd learned before at Texas A&M get you to where you are now and what skills do you get to use every day?
2: So when I left in 2016, I had at at that point in my career, I'd become uh, more in in senior leadership, uh, been doing more staff work and gotten away from the technical side, which is a natural development to anybody, probably most career fields. So what I've done now is I've actually gone and as a technical consultant, I've gone back into more of the engineering side and and had to actually review math books um digital signal processing and other other technical parts that i had not touched in 25 years um but i enjoy it and it was it was interesting to see things that i had you know a class that i had taken in uh, mathematics and and relearning that 25 years later but at least i had the foundation and i was able to build on that and so I, i really enjoyed the technical consulting side and and finding new things uh, artificial intelligence machine learning really didn't exist in the form that exists today so i've had to learn about that um, but at least i had a fundament the fundamentals from my school and what i did learn during my technical years in the air force before i moved to more managerial positions
0: you know with with sometimes you know being deployed and stuff bringing bad memories and ptsd to the men and women who served you know what's one of the best memories that you had overseas would it be a job or a uh, or something you all done in your past time? What's the best memory that you can remember while you were deployed overseas and serving our country? So I think it would be the some of the times with the uh, the people that we
2: spent. Um, uh, some of the memories uh, that I, that really stick out in my mind is, for example, in Iraq, meeting with the Iraqi Air Force leadership, briefing them on programs. Uh, I actually saw an Iraqi general that I had gone to um, one of my professional developments with schools. Oh, that was probably five years prior. Seeing him, uh, seeing some of the other electronic warfare officers off on a mission uh, before they were headed out on, an, on a helicopter. So those are those are ones that that really stick out. That and there's a lot of days where it's uh, there's not a lot going on, and so it's you know days and days of boredom followed by you know some pretty intense, um, uh, pretty intense times.
1: After service, people often say that they. Have changed before they went off to serve our country. How how has being in the military shaped you as a person? I think it's given to be a, a better appreciation for what the, the military does. You always,
2: you know, you always see the movies, um, you know, historical movies maybe about uh Normandy and what the military did back then, um, and the roles that it had, you know, through Korea and Vietnam. But the world has changed. It is a very different type of fight and it's still very needed. And so I think what uh, the military has given me appreciation for is, is the role that we have in, in the world and how, especially working with allies, that's probably something I didn't appreciate as much either. Uh, having allies with their equipment, with their people, and with a common cause uh, really helps the mission instead of going alone.
1: Um, how have your values changed?
2: Uh, I'm not sure they've changed as much. I've always uh, appreciated, you know, uh, teamwork, uh, honesty, and I think that served me well within the, the military. I guess maybe the, the one that maybe has has changed more. And I think I think it would happen with anybody over time that's been given leadership and responsibilities, maybe some empathy. Understanding when you have to work, and that is probably the most difficult thing. We always talk about technology and missions, but when it comes to working with people and leadership, that is one of the tougher jobs. Understanding how to, uh, for a better, uh, like a better term, read the room, especially if there's just one person or a group of people And try to get people focused on a mission or things aren't going well i guess some of the best examples i ever had was when i signed to a a a flying unit and seeing the leadership within that unit uh and how it works with people so within the military before you go on a mission you have what what you call a briefing you you talk about what you're going to do what the objectives are and how are you going to proceed and you, you fly the mission or execute the mission or the op and you come back and you do what's called a debriefing and this isn't just unique to the air force they uh, a lot of, you know, all the services do it all, especially in basic training. You're, you're assigned maybe as a squad leader, you know, you're, there's five people or six people and say, like, you're the leader, here's the mission. You have five minutes to plan and you got a, an hour to execute, go. And what happens is it's, you learn a lot about yourself and a lot about, uh, your, your peers by doing that. And as a, a young 20 something or, or, or younger, a little older or even older, uh, there are skills that you have and you don't have that need to be developed with communication and leadership and teamwork. And those environments help you understand what, you know, where you need to improve on and, and how other people operate. And so the debrief, it's, it's that skill of uh, being able to do the mission and then really talk about it afterwards. Honestly, uh, you know, to make it a critique, not a criticism and to basically figure out how to improve, to improve the, you know, improve yourself, improve your teamwork and communication to do the mission. And I think that that technique and that skill and learning like i said empathy to understand how other people are feeling and to to help them become better leaders is something i don't think i would have developed if i'd been outside as well outside this environment so i guess uh, from a improvement um, a change in values i think that's probably the biggest one
1: Uh, after you retired from the military what was something that you were looking forward to coming back home to
2: i think uh not moving every couple years. Uh having some stability, having to be able to to buy a house and say this is where we're going, you know, where we're planning to stay and move. Uh, there's always there was always the concern that after a couple of years would I, you know, get the itch to move after three years or so. And that that kind of came up. you you have that feeling, hey, it's been three or four years. Is it time to go somewhere else? And uh fortunately that kind of came and went. My my job has enough variety that I kind of settled down. Um, but the, the stability has been nice and as you get older, it just gets more, it just gets harder and harder to, to move around. So I think that's uh, that's been the biggest benefit.
1: Uh, what in your life has meant the most to you, whether that be before, during, or after your service?
2: So so the most means probably in the family. Uh, my wife and kids, they're, they're awesome. They've supported me through this. My wife was actually a reservist. She, my, so my wife actually deployed before I did. She was in Iraq, she was a nurse. Uh, and actually, so that was a benefit because when I deployed, um she said look i it helped her because she knows what you know the process is and what it was going through and what the mission was like so i think the family how we work together uh as a as a dual um you know dual service uh, family uh my daughter is going into the coast guard and my son is being history major I, I would hope that our experiences help influence them to understand you know service for the country or just you know service to community and the bigger picture when it comes to what this what's out there in the world.
1: You mentioned your kids going to serve the country as well. What advice have you given them so far about it?
2: So I guess the biggest advice to them is you have to choose your own path. It can be very tricky to say mom and dad did this in the military and I need to follow in their footsteps and I need to do what they did. And I always try to make them feel like, no, you, this is, you need to take your path, not our path. Now, if it's similar to ours, that's fine. If it's not, that's fine, too. But I didn't want to put them in a trap to say um, that put them felt any obligation that they they needed to to follow the same way. So now that doesn't say we don't educate them, and encourage them. Uh, You know, we've told them about service academies and ROTC and options with enlistments, options with the different services, what their missions are. So we it wasn't a hard sell recruiting, but we wanted them to be aware and they can make their own decisions. And, you know, as, as you as you'll find out, just what you do after graduation, from high school or after college or wherever doesn't need to be your whole life. Uh, people move jobs. They people go into military later. People choose to um, maybe go into service with government or their community at later times or earlier times. So all those options are out there. So um, just making sure that they know that we support them and what they're doing and to just and follow their hearts um, is, is what
0: we've told them to do. You know, in this um, podcast, we've covered, you know, many varieties of topics and stuff. Is there anything that we probably haven't touched on that you want to share and add to your story? So
2: I I talked a little about some of the leadership development um, training that the military offers. When you see the movies and you see the shows and you see the training, it's always, you know, I've got the gun. I'm running through through the mud under some barbed wire, a lot of yelling but some of the most important training that we do within the military that is, it's probably hard, probably boring to capture on a movie is, is the leadership development. One of the programs that we had in the Air Force that uh, one of the exercises we went through, a thing called Project X. And it's like a little mini uh, obstacle course. Uh, and, and it's not an obstacle courses, and it's just you running and climbing ropes and then running through and being timed. It's maybe a, you know, 100 foot by 100 foot cell. There's a, There's a puddle of water, there's two posts sticking up, uh there's a, a flag at the other side and you have three two by 12 boards and you have to get this ammo box to the other side there's five of you you have two minutes to plan five minutes to execute go and so it's a very intense so it doesn't have to be you know a you know um large explosions and, and fires but it can be a very intense situation where you've got an objective now so suddenly the person that's been told you're the leader is probably getting lots of opinions lots of thoughts people are yelling at him or her, and maybe that person has, you know, strong opinions themselves. And at the end, these, and these, prog- these projects are difficult enough to where uh, a lot of a lot of them fail. But what you do afterwards, the cadre and the instructors there have, like, what I call the debrief, and you walk through it, and you walk through what you could have done better and how you could improve. And developing a professional critique process, as we call you know, the, the debrief, I think is one of the things that is probably not seen as much in the military. Maybe because it's hard to, to you know, like I said, put into a, a movie, a scene in a movie, and it's probably overlooked. But that leadership development is, is incredibly important because in a war fighting situation, it's very chaotic. And your whatever communications you had, whether it was radios or talking to each other, gets very difficult because things get loud and things don't work. And developing that ability to form a team, to work with each other, and a culture of feedback and professionalism is probably the, one of the most uh, important things within the military in spite of all the technology in spite of all the missions you have to be able to uh execute the mission professionally uh one of the examples they give is the uh, kind of paraphrasing it's it's the three block soldier uh in one block you know you're going through an urban area and in one block you're doing a it's a humanitarian mission uh in the other block it's a peacekeeping mission and the other block it's a firefight mission and to have somebody who has been in the military just a few years Have the maturity to handle that and the professionalism to execute whatever mission needs to be done and not make tactical decisions that have strategic impacts is something that is i I think overlooked i think the military does a good job of of training for that and uh, getting people to adapt and overcome to situations and it's probably one of the biggest benefits so uh, that's what i would offer in terms of uh, things to think about if you're thinking about military service or understanding the military
0: role and you spoke on teamwork, and this is a podcast that seeks stories of courage, resilience, your service, and teamwork. Do you have any memories from your service that would match these themes that you'd want to share?
2: Yeah, so on, on the deployments, uh, we're probably the biggest one because we, you know, you planned a mission, but you also had to plan for things that, that didn't go right. Communications could fail. Uh, people could be in different positions than you expect. And so we, we did a lot of planning before uh, missions. Uh, but to do that, you also had to, you couldn't just walk into a room, see people for the first time, plan a mission, and then leave and go do it. You had to get to know them. And so the people that we worked with, you hung out with or you were um, you know, stationed with them and you got to know them. So when it came down to the mission uh, and it executed and things were not going as planned, uh, people knew you enough to know the way you communicated and your intent. That that teamwork kind of I won't say naturally flowed, but it really enhanced that. So teamwork isn't just about uh, you know the moment when that mission executes. Teamwork is in the planning beforehand. Teamwork is in getting to know the people that you're working with and their perks, Much like the Project X, you you really learned a lot about the people by going through those type of exercises and going through those type of training. And that's what training is all about. So um, the teamwork you get from training is what really helps you in the end. And we I saw that many times on missions in Afghanistan.
0: You know, with, you know, some of your kids actually going into the military and following the steps of you and your wife, what advice would you give to a high schooler such as us that would be interested in a career in the military and serving? So I'd say look at the different missions. And even
2: within a service, the missions vary. Uh, For example, my daughter's going into the Coast Guard, and there are there's aviation in the Coast Guard, There's surface you know, surface vessels in the Coast Guard. They have different roles, whether they're National Strategic Service or they're um, more rapid deployments, uh, even within the Coast Guard. They are getting into cyber because cyber is everywhere uh, and there are intel missions. So you have to look across all these different options um, if that's what you want to go into. Some people want to go into more of the combat arms. And go into the infantry and, and artillery. Some are very interested in, in aviation. Some would look at, like to go into the Space Force. Uh, there's a whole other dimension there. So see what you like to do and see what service and what part of the service might fit that and work the best. I think once you get in, you'll discover a number of other opportunities that you didn't expect that may that broaden things out. Or if it doesn't work out to where you're like, you know, I saw it, it wasn't quite what I thought. Um, maybe it was a, I didn't really enjoy the culture or uh, it was a little bit of a mismatch. That's fine, too. You had the experience and you can take that experience other places. So it's not just what you see in the movies. It's not just what you see on 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 videos. There is a tremendous variety of opportunities uh, out there.
0: Um, you know, would there be anything that you'd want to add to something that we've talked about, whether it be, you know, something when you were younger through your uh, younger age before you went into the military? Something that maybe happened to you during your deployment that still affects you today or something after your deployment that you still are proud of and that you work towards each and every day? So, so let me offer this. When I joined
2: the military, um, when, I, when I started at Texas AM in the late 80s and, and uh, became a, an officer in the, in the early 90s, that was the Cold War period. And we had uh, one big bad enemy, the Soviet Union, and that was going to be the fight. And from that time, from 1988 to the early 90s, that all changed. The Cold War came down. Uh, you know, um, the USSR split. There was a lot of uh, downsizing of the military. We used to be a lot larger. And so that, that changed. And then uh, things like Bosnia happened. So now we still have a role, but it's a limited role. And then 9-11 happened. And so we, that, that changed too. My, uh, my advice is that whatever military you join in whatever world state that it is, do not expect it to stay the same. Uh, i think uh I think dr Gates had a was one of the secretaries of defense um i th- I think he had a quote something like you know we've our batting average is zero for predicting the next war you know where we we plan for one, but then this comes up and, and it needs our attention. We plan for something and this comes up and it needs our attention. so you just have to be prepared for a variety of situations ukraine uh who would have thought um we would be in the role that we're in there uh, again, a very delicate situation how we're how we're supporting them but how we 're not supporting them to make sure we uh, you know, don't overdo it to uh, entice Russia to go any farther than they have. So it's a big balancing act. There are lots of, uh, it, it's a very uh, dynamic world. So I would offer that whatever you expect, uh, if, if you go into military thinking it has this role, uh, I, I would expect it to change in another 10 years because that's just the world.
1: Oh, I do have one question, one more question for you. Yep. Um, what are some skills that have- you uh learn from your service that you've implemented into your daily life.
2: i guess um detailed planning i, I guess i've always been a little bit of a planner but when the when you have flight test, and you have a very you, you try to do a very detailed plan of what are your objectives uh, otherwise i mean any test you could do this you could go out there and it becomes a science project and you start just you know turning knobs and dials and seeing what happens but if you're going after a certain objective you have a certain goal you're trying to collect certain data it's a very um it's a very formal process now you balance that with we don't normally have the patience to do all that but i think i brought more of a formal process into into some of my life uh, but you recognize when things when you're actually execu- actually executing that the plan that you have made is a plan that you're going to deviate from you have probably heard this you know um the planning is the plan is nothing planning is everything Going through those processes and going through those option A, option B, option C is something I probably do more in in my life uh, based on my military experience.
0: Well, uh, you know, we've learned so much about you and over your time serving and stuff. You know, we want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your story and what it was like for you while you were serving.
2: Well, Zach, Evan, I appreciate you guys doing this and uh, good luck with your careers and any decisions you make in the future.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Wow. All I have to say about that, Zach, is that Mr. Olanis had a really interesting and intriguing story to tell.
0: It was one that I know I'll
1: definitely remember.
0: Yeah, there was so much we could learn from him and his courage, as well as his life during and after service.
1: You know, something that I found interesting was at the beginning of the interview is that his dad was a civil engineer. And according to his bio, he is also an electrical engineer. So, the reason it seemed interesting to me and got me even more engaged with his stories, because I'm also wanting to become a civil engineer.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that about his dad. I found it so interesting of how his dad also served before him. You know, tradition and heritage plays a big role sometimes in the families here in America. And I found it so inspiring of how he followed in the footsteps of his dad and how he talked about him and his wife. Who his wife also served, how they talked to their kids about any career they could go into, and how two of his own kids are going into the military and serving our country as well. Yeah, this story definitely wasn't something new to me.
1: My papa served in the Air Force, so I've heard, I've heard many of his stories throughout. They're out hanging out with him and stuff, but Mr. Olinese showed me a different point of view and told me different things I've never heard before. Also showed me how much the military has changed since my papal served and since Mr. Olinice has served. But it's you know it's not just a sign up and go to war type of thing. There are many things that go along with it and it's not easy to do.
0: Yeah. And one one thing I found very interesting that I love that he talked about was, uh, he talked about that snowstorm when he was deployed overseas and how they weren't able to receive mail for a few days, and how they had a couple helicopters after it all cleared up come with like pallets full of mail. You know, I found it so in- inspirational of how, you know, even just the smallest gesture, whether that be from family or from Americans like you and me who can support our military, I think it just came as a good lesson for us that even if we have a opportunity to show just a little bit support of our troops overseas and the men who've fought before them you know to honor them in such a small way it's a great opportunity for each and every one of us
1: thank you for listening to the operation crisp podcast if you liked this episode, be sure to subscribe and share. Today's hosts were Zach Mills and myself, Evan Miller. Our guest was retired Air Force Veteran Lieutenant Colonel Lee Owens. The music was provided royalty-free by Coma Media. Questions were written by us and the editing was done by our teachers. Until next time, see ya.